G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Uh, Great to be able to welcome back to 2020 Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, a special welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be back and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you and uh, looking forward to a big year ahead. It's going to be a busy year. It's going to be a controversial year. And uh, I guess when we talk about what's happening by way of a political agenda, the lower house and the Senate, uh, they're meeting back for the first time this year, starting tomorrow. They'll start with a church service tomorrow. Do you end up going along to that one? Uh, yeah, I'll be there. Yep. So there's a church service at St. Andrews Presbyterian Church tomorrow morning for those who are in Canberra. And um, yeah, it's, uh, look, in, in recent times, it's, it's actually been a little light on in attendance. So we've dug deep and we've called around and made sure that everybody knows it is on. So we're hoping to get a good turnout there to open the parliamentary year with some prayer and scripture reading. And, you know, you can spot the PM and the opposition leader and others. They'll all be there as well. Yes. Well, uh, be excited to hear how that goes, as I am each year, because sometimes, uh, you know, looking across the aisle, there's probably some tensions going, but but everybody sits on the same level when they're in church and they are before God. And so uh, very exciting and very profitable, I think, uh, thing to do for our parliamentarians to start the year off in a church service, uh, giving glory to God. Hey, before we get into big issues like religious freedom, um, you know, biggest sporting event uh, over the weekend, of course, the climax last night as Novak Djokovic won the men's final, uh, been significant controversy around the Australian Open and their handling of the recognition of Margaret Court, who celebrated that 50 years since winning all four Grand Slam tournaments back in the 19, well, 1970 it was. Martin, you spent a bit of time at the tennis. Yeah, I did, Neil. I was in Melbourne uh, on Friday for most of the day, well, actually until Saturday, because I went down there uh, to meet with Margaret Court and to spend some time with her and go to the tennis with her, which was all a lot of fun. Um, And the reason we did that was because we put up a letter, a letter of support for Margaret on our website, and we encouraged people to add their name. And more than 31,000 people did. We would have liked to get some more than that, but we had such a limited time window. We just said, look, we're going to give it a couple of weeks and see what happens, and that's a, that's a good result for the time that we had. More than 31,000 people signed this letter of support saying thanks for being a you know an Aussie hero, an icon, and the greatest tennis player of all time, but also for your bold Christian faith and for remaining uncompromised under pressure, which is so rare these days. And, and I went down there with a commemorative book where that letter was in there. There were some beautiful pictures of her career, and everyone's name was written out uh, in the pages of that book. So was able to go down and present it to her, and there'll be a video coming up on our social media about that. So that was really worth doing. And I've got to say, Neil, as an added bonus, the tennis was really, really good too. Yes, <laughs> so I, I can imagine. Myself. And, you know, 31,000 <laughs> signatures. Uh, she's a, obviously, you know, historically she is a champion on the court, and she is a champion as a Christian leader. 
but that doesn't mean you can always bear up so easily under the tensions and the pressures. Uh, she has had a weight of responsibility on her shoulders over this time when she stood for biblical truth. I imagine that 31,000 signatures would be a real boost, a real encouragement to say that you're not alone in this. Uh, it's not everybody who's pointing daggers at Margaret Court. Uh, yeah. how, do, how was her reaction to, you know, to knowing that support is there? Yeah, look, she um, was very, very thankful and grateful. And, um, uh, you know, I think that she wanted that conveyed to everybody, that she just, uh, it was a real boost for her because, uh, you know, she loved tennis and she always goes to the tennis. And uh, it was a challenging week. Um, there was lots of challenges just with uh, uh, the way that the media were, were trying to sniff around for some trouble. You had um, Martina Navratilova and, and John McEnroe doing their little protest thing. And, you know, the tension was simmering away. Uh, and I think it was just really nice for her just to be reminded that, look, there's so many people who were looking on and cheering in her corner. And she, she, she said that as she walked around that event at the Australian Open, everywhere she went, people came up to her and said, thank you, good on you. And she didn't have a single crossword said the whole time she was there. So I certainly observed that while I was down there. So I think she is feeling very supported by the public, even if the media... Uh, and some celebrities are uh, just trying to cause a bit of trouble for her. So keep praying for her, I'd say to people. And, um, you know, it's been it's been a good time for her, I think. Uh, Martin, just quickly, your thoughts on Tennis Australia and the way they handled it, because it seems to me they were walking a tightrope and uh, trying to please everybody and trying not to offend everyone. Uh, how do you think they overall handled that controversy? Because uh, they did eventually honour Margaret Court, uh, but she didn't get a chance to speak at all. Uh, they kept her pretty quiet. Uh, what are your thoughts on the overall way they handled it? Oh, I think it was, um, uh, they were very, trying to play politics a little bit. They were, uh, you know, worried about both sides and what might be said. And they were very worried about the media. And, you know, they had all these great concerns. And, uh, you know, they, they, they behaved accordingly, very risk averse, very cautious. Uh, but at the same time, um, they did go ahead with the ceremony to honour her. They certainly haven't given any credence to um, calls to rename the Margaret Court Arena. They've stayed well away from that. Uh, so there's some good things there where they have sort of appeared to have drawn a line and said, look, now we're going to try and we're going to try and play an even hand on this. But, you know, still very politically timid and nervous. You know, I, I, I long for the day when some of these bodies who are so scared for reputation and politics come out and just take a stand and say, now, hang on a second, Margaret Court is actually by far the greatest tennis player the world has seen so you know let's just get on with it and just you know there's a little bit more front foot about these things they're very timid and scared but it could have been a lot worse uh, and so that would be my sort of lukewarm take on, on sort of how it was all handled well, I do want to talk to you about religious freedom, but while we're on sport, let me mention the other sporting icon who was at the centre of controversy, of course, Israel Folau. He's returning to professional football, but not here in Australia. Uh, what, are you th what are your thoughts on, uh, on what Israel Folau is up to? Yeah, look, I think um, Israel Folau is a, is, a, is a fantastic sportsman as well, and uh, you know he's born to play uh, football, and, and that's what he absolutely loves doing. So, you know, uh, on the one hand, I'm actually quite thrilled that something's worked out for him um, with the international scene, and, and that he is going to be able to go and play sport again. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you look at that and you see, well, uh, it seems like he might have paid a price um, for uh, for what's happened so far, and there's some kind of gag order on him whereby if he's going to play for, for, for the Catalans Dragons, that he uh, has to, I think, it, it, it's not clear whether he's just social banned from social media, 
or whether he's banned from speaking about his faith full stop. And, you know, I look at that and I just see how, you know, our acceptance in society and particularly uh, in professional sporting and those upper echelons of, of society, where, where, which are very public, depends so much uh, on, on how we view the LGBT community. And if we're out of step, with uh, society's expectations on that, you know, we can expect to be pursued and we can expect to continue to have to pay a price. It's a real shame. And uh, I did see that and it saddened me a little bit and I understand why why it is as it is. I don't think there's any club out there that would uh, take Israel on without making some steps to ensure that, you know, he was uh, limited in what he can say. Um, That's something we've just got to continue to try and push back on. And that's why I'm so glad for people like Margaret Court who keep pushing back and saying, no, no, uh, there's a lot of us out here who believe differently. And, you know, these sorts of prices that you're making us pay are not good enough. So, yes, I look forward to a day when uh, the cone of silence is lifted a little bit, but uh, glad for Israel and, and just but just a little bit um, circumspect at the same time. So this whole idea, a cone of silence, as you say, a gag on what you can say, uh, the likely possibility if you do say things against the rules that somebody is setting, hounded out of your job, hounded out of your career, pushed even almost into exile. Let's not uh, get uh, you know too excited about a word like that, but it's a little bit like that. Can't play sport, can't do your job in your own country, have to go overseas and do that. Let's come to that issue around religious freedom because that religious freedom debate is still to come this year. The exposure draft, uh, late last year, a new one out, uh, looks a little bit better in favour of a Christian position, but there's no doubt still some lots of problems and issues that uh, you'll be looking very closely at. Uh, what are your thoughts for when that might come back onto the agenda to be debated, Martin? Well, it's anybody's guess, I think. It's supposed to come back on the agenda um, when the Parliament gets back in the next couple of weeks. So the Parliament's back tomorrow, but they'll sit for a couple of weeks. And it's supposed to come back on the agenda in that period. They're meant to introduce it into the Senate. Uh, And what we expect to happen is it will be knocked off straight into a Senate committee where they'll conduct another process where all sides of politics get to review it and they take further submissions from the public. Uh, That's what we expect to happen or we're expecting to happen i mean who really knows we don't know until it does happen and a week is a long time in politics and a lot changes uh and i think the government is going to be very very risk averse with uh some polls looming that show that uh you know the the popularity of the prime minister has taken a big dent uh and so you know i look at that and think "Mm, maybe it will be the next two weeks maybe it will be longer but i do believe that um the prime minister is personally quite committed to this piece of legislation so if it doesn't come on in the next couple of weeks, I wouldn't expect it to be knocked into the long grass forever, barring some kind of very serious catastrophe. Um, so it's likely to come up. My concern with it is, even the revised second draft bill, is that it just isn't yet good enough. We've got the process has a ways to play out. There's opportunities to get further improvements. But my goodness, I wish that we'd gone in with a high watermark and had something just a bit better. Okay, and when we get a little impatient with this sort of thing, and uh, I think we've had a bit of a pendulum swing back and forward over the last uh, two or three years uh, with this whole issue of religious freedom, thinking we're getting impatient, the government needs to do something, and then this other idea that, uh, well, if the government takes its time, that's actually a good thing. So is this something you think, well, you're quite happy to see it drawn out, or would you like to see something come to a head? Oh, look, I mean, there's no doubt that I do feel a little bit impatient. I suppose that I, I nonetheless want 
I don't. It's the process isn't as important as the, as the outcome. That, that's that's what's in my mind. You know, if it's longer and we get a better outcome, well, all right, I'll live with that. But you know, if it could be shorter, that's even better. You know, but it's the outcome that really matters. And um, you know, I look at it now and I'm thinking, oh gosh, how can we get a better outcome? Um, and there is a process to play out. Perhaps that's one way to do it. The church leaders are all writing a joint letter into the Prime Minister again that had some impact last time just to sort of uh, raise their continuing concerns. I mean, I've always said about these bills, you know, we're not that keen on a religious discrimination bill because Christians don't use discrimination laws very much. We're not sort of activists. We don't sue people. It's just not what we do. Um, and so we say, well, we're not that interested in that kind of legislation. We'd rather a religious freedom bill. But anyway, that's okay. We'll park that for a second. What we will say is that if there's a few extra bonus items in this discrimination bill that make it worthwhile, we can support it. The sorts of things you look for is say, well, is there anything in there to make sure that the next Israel fallout can't happen? You can't just sack someone because it's a statement of belief. Is there anything in there to make sure the next Archbishop Julian Porteous can't happen, that some state-based law is going to you know, turn him into... Uh, uh, somebody who's bro- broken the law just because he went and talked about marriage in the most gentle way. You know, is there going to be something in there that helps Christian schools and charities be Christian, you know, hire Christians, keep their ethos? Uh, is there going to be something in there for doctors and medical professionals so that when they go about their business, you know, they don't have to do things that are against their conscience, like abortions? You know, you look for those practical things and you say, how many of those are in there? Is it going to be worthwhile? Have we got some protections? And, you know, those things are all supposed to be in there, but the devil's in the detail. When you read the detail, you see that they're not very strong protections. And so that's my concern is that what is in there looks pretty good, but the detail is really quite weak. Uh, and we're still working on just making sure they're better. I don't believe this bill would stop the next Israel fallout from happening. Uh, I don't believe it would stop the next Julian Porteous from happening. That's the challenge uh, because of the wording, because of the detail. But we've got something there that we can work with to make it better. And so, we're, you know, I think everyone's getting a bit frustrated and saying, oh, you know, we're so close, but it's just not quite there yet. So I think a lot of prayer needs to go into that. Um, a lot of wisdom needs to be shown by the leaders who are engaging with that process just to try and get a better outcome. Um, and also trust that the Prime Minister, uh, you know, can have the conviction to really follow through on this uh, and to see that, you know, it, it is a really crucial opportunity in Australia's history and, uh, and make it better. And undoubtedly, listeners to our conversation today uh, will be making their own preparations to make sure they don't drop the ball on this. And when there is a time when you're asked to sign a new petition or asked to contact an MP, uh, they're going to be ready, willing and able to do that. And uh, so that's my encouragement to you, because I know that listeners to this program before have responded when there's been a call to action. So we'll expect that is going to come sometime very soon soon too again when the listeners will be invited to be a part of the whole process hey there's so many issues martin we can only touch on some things just very briefly uh today uh, by way of euthanasia a new move from tasmania to join victoria and wa Uh, is this a fairly recent one yeah look there is uh, moves across the country the euthanasia lobby are getting really busy and they're trying to look what euthanasia does is it effectively says you know what we don't believe in the sanctity of human life anymore that's no longer the line that you don't cross you know well, doctors have always said well, we don't cross a line where we deliberately kill someone you know we just don't do that uh and they want to say well no that's no longer the standard and of course that opens a pandora's box um of, of where that ends up and where it leads and other countries serve as a real warning sign to us. And so that's something that people should be really motivated to stand against, um, especially in a country where it's appropriate palliative care, which 
uh, you know, gives people all the care they need at the end of life, even when they're in pain, when done well. Appropriate palliative care doesn't exist in many places, particularly WA, where euthanasia is just passed. So that's the real thing we need to do there. So, you know, Tasmanians, um, you're next. And, and what I would say is just contact your MP and say, I don't like this, because MPs are mostly uh, swayable on this. They can change their mind. They're not convictional either way on the whole, and they just need voices in their ear saying it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea. So that's the best preliminary work that can be done there. New South Wales, Tasmania, Queensland, all at risk. Okay. Another big issue, gay conversion therapy and moves underway in Queensland and uh, ACT in Victoria to ban the practice. Uh, mm. Some conversation on this program last week, uh, even with Professor John Whitehall, who's been uh, not allowed to give a verbal presentation to a hearing in Brisbane uh, around this whole issue of gay conversion therapy. It looked as though it was something that the Queensland government was looking to rush through. Uh, what are your thoughts for what's going on, particularly in Queensland? But as we say, uh, you know, ACT and Victoria wanting to ban the practice of gay conversion therapy too. Oh, look, this is another one that politicians just don't understand. You know, what happens is a journalist will walk up to them, shove a microphone in their face and say, hey, what do you think of gay conversion therapy? The politician immediately freaks out. Uh, they don't want to, you know, become the next one with a target on the back of their head because they've said something wrong about the LGBT community. Uh, and what will they do? They'll say, oh, of course, I think it's abhorrent. I might have been a ban the practice. And they don't actually know what they're talking about. They don't know what the journalist means by gay conversion therapy. They don't know any of these things. So... No, that's the great risk here. So I've always said, look, politicians just need to hear the voices of Christians who say this isn't what it seems to be. You know, none of us support anything that would be coercive. None of us support anything that would be uh, abusive, of course. You know, that's fine. But that's not what this is talking about. What this is doing is it's saying that uh, it's putting in law this notion that your gender identity and your sexual orientation are one-way streets. You can become gay. You can become transgender but you can never become straight and you can never go back to your biological gender. Uh, and so if anybody in a church or anything preaches the notion that you don't have to be gay or if they preach the notion that you don't have to be transgender or if a counsellor says to you, do you know what, I think there's more complicated things going on in your life. I don't think you are a woman, uh, uh, John. I think you're actually a man and, and, and those other feelings are coming from somewhere else. Anything like that that suggests that this is not a one-way street will be Banned. And if people think that that is just boggling and mental, I'm with you and I say it is boggling and mental and it's actually very anti-Christian, it's very anti-religious and that's the only reason these activists want the laws. But because of ignorance about the issue, they're managing to make great headway. So this is something, again, politicians need to hear about and they need to know what the truth is on it. We'll be running some campaigns, particularly in Victoria, particularly in the ACT, where there's been moves here. We've just done something up in Queensland as well for supporters. We've just got to get the truth in front of politicians and start the pushback. I'll be on television, actually, in a couple of weeks talking about this yet again. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's always a tough one to talk about. But um, the more informed people are, the more, uh, the more we can push back on this. Well, Martin, there is more for us to talk about than we have time to even mention things, even in a shallow sort of a way. Uh, things like drag queen story times and all of the controversy that has risen out of that tragic event uh, in the state of Queensland just recently. And, uh, of course, uh, staying with Queensland for a moment, uh, the drugs issue in Queensland where the Queensland Labor government is on the cusp of adopting a 
policy to decriminalise illicit drugs. Well, uh, all of these conversations, they need to be had and we might have to enlarge on some of these on another day. But Martin Isles, I'll point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website where you've got tremendous resource, background and something that clarifies uh, what people are hearing in the news. And so pointing people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. Martin Niles, always great getting your insights and updates. Uh, The Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, Martin, thanks for joining us today on 2020. Always a pleasure, Neil. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.